Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever this podcast may find you. It is I, as always, Gavin. And I, Justin. And we have kind of a mouthful on quite, this one. Quite a few mouthful. You had a mouthful of watches. This It started <laughs> to turn into the watch podcast, which we haven't had in a little while. So that was fine. Yeah, that was good. Um, I had a nice 20-ounce uh, uh, quad shot mocha before getting into this, so you and I are kind of like, you know, Roadrunner and Coyote. Yeah, and we had a we had a lovely, quick little conversation about wild car prices. There's one specifically this week that got hit uh, a six-figure mark. Yeah, we talk about a 97-mile Mark IV R32 Volkswagen, which is kind of nuts. Kind of wild. Uh, yeah, we talk about that. We talk about watches. We of course, because I'm on the podcast, talk about Porsches. Yep. And uh, and also talk about a little bit of praise and hope for the uh, announced GR Corolla uh, manufacturing increase. That's true. Cross let's, your fingers. Yeah, well, let's just get into that, shall we? We shall. Yeah, well, okay, so I guess getting into what we've been doing, I, I don't know, I mean, my week was fucking hectic. Sounds I, like it. I almost didn't want to come up. Almost. Frankly. Um yeah, Maddie had um, a COVID scare. She doesn't have it. Which is great. Yeah, she took a test at home. She had a, a positive, And then she took another one, and it was negative. And then she went to the doctor and had a third one, and they got back to her, and it was negative. Interesting. So she just has the flu. Um, but we were I was going to either bring her up here mm-hmm. and like drive all track, yeah. see what this was like, um, and then take the scenic route from here to Park City and take 84 mm-hmm. um, and then have like lunch and a hike with my family. Um, snowstorm is coming. Yep. So there's that. So a hike would be out. Maddie also is, is sick. So it's like, okay. And I, I, I picked her up from the airport. She got back from Austin. Yeah. Uh, before we found out that she was sick or that she had anything. She, she probably picked it up from the airplane, frankly. Very possible. Yeah. You're in an enclosed tube with 100 people. Yeah. So, um, and my parents were like, you know what? Let's just shelf this for another time. <laughs> yeah, that's understandable. Yeah. So, um, that was going to be today. And I'm very thankful that we were able to just like give myself the morning. Yep. I, I didn't have an alarm. I slept in until about nine o'clock. Um, and I guess rewinding why this week was crazy. Um, Monday was fine. Tuesday was some ramp up, but my my work, Expedition Superstore, had this big booth at uh, an event called Slorex or Slorex, um, S L S L O W R E X or sorry S L O R E X. Yeah, not like not like the car, not like the W R X, but mm-hmm. um, so we had a th- I think it was a thirty by fifty booth. Okay, so decent size. It was decent. Yeah, we had three rigs. We had three of the rigs that we had. Um, down uh, when we took our trip so we had the gladiator mm-hmm. named roxanne we had um ram chop which is the uh dodge power wagon yep uh with the sixty thousand. i found out how much of, how much that costs um the the flatbed well no the camper itself was about 60 i'm sure the flatbed is probably an additional 10 15 uh i think so yeah and uh the flatbed also has uh what they call a garage Mm-hmm. Which it has doors on it. It's actually a passerelle, kind of like a Rivian. Yep. Um. So you like open it up, and there's a bunch of storage there. Um. And then that on top of a 2500 power wagon. That's a big girl. People were asking how much, like anything or everything costs, and um, the answer that I heard was the boss will sell it to you for 180. <laughs> Ooh. Which 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 is you know that's that's a flip still. I mean it was probably 130. Yeah. 
130 to 150 like to build it as is it's a mm-hmm. it's a big and very bespoke vehicle yeah but so the camper is from a company called four wheel campers which mm-hmm. is based in sacramento uh, Bowen Customs uh, did the flatbed, and they're somewhere in Colorado. I don't, I can't remember where. Yeah. Um, but we are now, and we were telling people at the show, so I feel like we, this is, you know, public news. Yep. Um, we're a four wheel camper dealer now. Okay. Cool. So our showroom is actually expanding, and it has been expanding. Yeah. Um, we knocked a wall down and are pushing it back fifty feet, which definitely, or maybe it was like somewhere between thirty and fifty feet. And we had to basically take all of the workshop and um, uh, inventory that was for 230 and ESS yep. that was in the back and like basically take every, like pivot at 90 degrees. Mm-hmm. And also, they bought a new storage area. So we're, we have an, an, another external facility where we're storing shit. Oh boy. <laughs> this is like a huge fucking thing. It's a big move. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it kn- knock that wall down, push it back, and we're gonna have like I think four or five uh, tra- uh, four wheel campers on display. That'll be sweet. Which is gonna be fucking sick. Uh huh. Um, and then it's also gonna have a banner that either I or Justin would have taken. Um, we haven't decided on the photo yet, but um, a big banner that's like a fifty foot banner uh, of stuff that we shot at uh, Trona Pinnacles. Hell yeah! So that that's gonna be pretty sick. Um. I mean, what else uh, is going on? Okay, so Slorex was a Friday-Saturday event, which means Wednesday things got busy. Thursday we were kind of shitting their pants a little bit. Yeah. Um, and had to do a couple of different hauls from uh, ESS to Sandy, which is it was at the Sandy Expo Center, whatever, the Mountain America yeah. thing. And so... Get there. I helped part of setup for a little bit. Um, I mean, my job was also to create content, so I I drummed up some some uh, hype for you know the day before during setup, and then the day of, um, I got to go home uh a little early on both days and edit stuff. So you know, my days were you know actually not ending at five; they were more ending at like six thirty seven o'clock. Yeah. Um, while you know, just getting content over to my boss Claire, but. Yeah, no, it it was busy and kind of intense, and then, so Saturday was the last day of Slorex, it was a big day, Um, I got out a little early though at like 3.30, I I drove home, I took a fucking 45 minute nap in my car, (laughs) that's how tired I was. I've been there, done that. Yeah, I have done that I, before. I and that that, that was um, a conscious choice, by the way. I reclined the seat back. <laughs> Just like fuck it, here we're going. I'm like I, I'm not moving a fucking inch and just <laughs> made it home. That's all that matters. I am yeah. home in my garage. <laughs> yeah, and I just, I just slept for like 45 minutes and then like got upstairs, uh, got kind of ready for the watch event because the Utah Horological Society was having an event at 6:30 at Bourbon House, which is a bar I haven't been to since the pandemic. Okay, like yeah. that's a place where Andrew Jackson and I, not the president, um, would. <laughs> Yeah, like we like in 2019 or so, we ha- we would either uh, have our editing sessions at coffee shops, mm-hmm. or we'd go drinking, yeah, uh, on like a Thursday night, and go get like old fashions at Bourbon House. Nice. So we, <clears throat> so during 2020, the owners and I'm probably gonna fuck this up a little bit, but the owner's wife, I think she got onto Facebook 
and had some problematic shit to say about Black Lives Matter. Okay, yeah. Which I thought was going to cancel them, and it started. It definitely started to cancel them, and they were closed for a while. Yeah. And I wasn't sure they were ever going to come back, which was really a bummer because I was like, oh, well, I don't like racists. No. But at the same time, Fuck that! They used to make a really good old fashioned. That was like the, that was like the best old fashioned like <laughs> I, I'd had in Salt Lake. I'm like, fuck! Now I'm gonna lose that place because like here's a really cool vibe. I mean, for yeah. those that don't know, Bourbon House is a bar in downtown Salt Lake. It go to get to it, you walk through a lobby of a business building. Mm-hmm. It looks like a bank or something, and then you go down these stairs into this really dark and gloomy but really vibey speakeasy that's like definitely inspired from like the 20s and 30s. Yeah. Have you you've been? I have not. You haven't been? Oh, okay. No. Um, well, I know you don't drink, but that would be a fun place to go. They had really good food, actually. I had, uh, I had a couple of old fashions last night, which is why I needed the coffee. Yep. But I also had this uh, buffalo fried chicken sandwich, which was fire. It was so good. Um, definitely recommend. So we, but we had our watch event last night with um, this dealer from the Midwest. Uh, he. It was he was mostly promoting Frederick Constant, Frederick Constant uh, for people that were talking or uh, talking at the event. Uh, but if you wanted just to pop up on the Google machine, mm-hmm. uh, type in like Frederick, Frederick, like that Constant. Yep. Oh, yep. That's right there. Okay. So uh, p- Google Frederick Constant chronograph. Um, that was actually my favorite of the ones that I saw last night. Um, it was like a really dark navy blue dial. Uh, that one, uh, images for Frederick, go down. Just, and there you go. Okay. Uh, one far left. Second row far Yep, that right there. Okay, yeah, I like that. So what we're looking at, um, I'm going to try to do my best to describe this, but it for chronographs, for those that aren't really into watches, um, it is a watch that has a timer or a stopwatch function on it. Um so you have your your normal three hands, except the second hand is actually the chronograph seconds. Mm-hmm. So you have a running seconds that's always running. Uh, that's at the nine o'clock position, I believe, for that. And then the the chronograph second is the one is is the big normal. Well, what you would normally think of as second hands. Yeah. And then uh, at the six o'clock dial, that's actually the date. Okay, yeah, it makes sense. So it's not just like a number like on a date wheel. It's actually like a, you know, a, a needle in a dial. Mm-hmm. And then the uh, sub dial at the 3 o'clock is the minutes that you've counted on the chronograph. On the chronograph. So um, that watch right there. So that's a really, uh, in the dark light, it almost looked black. Yeah, it's a pretty dark, I mean, I can even see on this photo that like it, it clearly, it's a deep navy on the dial on the face. But it's also like a, a sunburst effect. So like if you do shine light on it, it like it brightens up. It's, yep. uh, it's a somewhat metallic-y but like grainy uh, finish to it, which is really nice. And every, like the case and the pushers and the crown, like that's all high polish and nice. Yep. Um, the buttons, I, I, I ran the chronograph for a second and the, the pushers felt really nice. Um. That's like a forty six hundred dollar watch. So it's something that, like, if you really wanted one, you could like attain it and get it. Uh, Frederick Constant is not like Rolex. You can just buy a watch. You, you you can go to them with money and walk out with a watch. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's not the same for Rolex or Patek or AP or a lot of like the really higher end stuff. Uh, there's not that much hype behind this company, but uh, they make really cool shit. Uh, their movements actually. Um, go to the search bar. Just add the word movement to the end. Um, everything's like really nice and high polished. Uh, yeah, like so. Look, 
uh, at the case back there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, everything is, like, you know, I think that's probably hand-turned. I don't think that's engine-turned. Probably not. Um, oh, it's a 21. So, the, uh, the case dimensions of that, it's a 41-millimeter case, which, for my small-ass wrist, is about the limit that I'm comfortable with. Yeah. You'd rock one, just, you'd rock one, for sure. Okay. Um... Yeah, the lug width is a 21, which is irritating because most watch straps are 20s. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's either 20s or 22s. 18s are able are easy to find too, but it's like it's the odd numbers, like 17s, 19s, and 21s are like what fucking why? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but they do that so you could buy their, their straps. straps. Yeah. Yep. Um, but we- yeah, it, it's pretty. It's nice. Um, I saw some other cool shit there. Um, for those that are, I, I don't, I don't know who, like, when people listen to us are like in the car or if they're at work or at home. So if you're listening to this, uh, let us know actually where you listen to us from. Either drop in the comments. Uh, maybe James K will let us know. He probably will. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, James. Uh, yeah, let us know where you're listening to us from. So if we do, you know, end up talking about something that's fairly visual, I'll know if you can actually Google it. Yeah, you from can actually where you are. Pull it up yourself. Um, I'm gonna send you on Facebook though. Uh. Some photos I took last night. Yeah, I saw a couple on your stories float across. Yeah, so the chronograph I was wearing uh, is that uh, that uh, that Frederick Constant uh, from last night. But mm-hmm. then um, a watch that I'm saving up for and I'm really working towards is uh, a, what's called a Tudor Black Bay 58. Okay, yeah. So the one that I sent you on like that tan canvas strap, that's the original what they call a smiley rose. What the enthusiasts call a smiley rose, because if you zoom in uh, on the dial, uh, the text that's just above the six o'clock kind of makes um, a semicircle. Yep. So that's kind of the smiley part. Um, they'll talk about how it's an automatic and death rating and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, what well, you can't really see it that well because it's under the minute hand. But Tudor has had a, a couple of different uh, logos. Uh, their current one is like this shield, kind of like you know the Tudor family, like yeah, the shield. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they used to have like this really intricate rose. Um, engraving. So they they would ha- they have it on the dial, and they also have it on the crown, like on the on yeah. the front of the crown. So um, that's like the OG. That, that's the original uh, Black Bay Fifty Eight. It's supposed to resemble and be take inspiration from Tudor dive watches from the fifties and sixties. They started making this in twenty fifteen. So it's like a, it's a much newer watch. Uh, the case on that is also a forty one, which is also at like the limit of what my wrist can handle yeah the lugs angle down really nicely which is good and and i this inadvertently turned into a watch podcast but um and let me know if i'm getting too lost in the weeds here no i mean i I think we're good i think we just finish out with the next one which is that rolex the rolex is interesting so that's called an explorer 2 Mm -hmm. Um, normally explorer 2s are not black i like the black it's a pvd um and this one in particular is from the early 2000s, like late 90s, early 2000s, because and you can tell that with the red hand. So this is a GMT. Gotcha. Just like what I'm wearing, I can. They, they both have um, uh, a second time zone. Yeah. The interesting thing about that, though, uh, on the the Explorer family of watches, or the Explorer Two rather, is the bezels don't move. Interesting. Yeah. So why that is exactly, I'm not entirely sure. Um, but it is a 24-hour bezel, so, you know, it'll, th- that hand is a 24-hour hand, so it, it lines up with the bezel just fine. Yeah. Um, but the interesting thing about this, this is owned by a guy named Chris who, uh, 
owns and runs a shop called Fankhauser, mm-hmm. which is uh, a watch shop. Uh, and they also work on like old clocks too, like grandfather clocks and stuff. Okay. It's yeah. a cool little shop. Yeah, I think you'd probably actually like it. Uh, yeah. It's in Sugar House, uh, just off 21st South and like 11th East. Um, they are actually the go-to place that I recommend. And this is not this is not an ad, by the way. This is just uh, my appreciation for, appreciation for Chris and what he does. Yeah. Um, the uh, he services watches. He services all sorts of shit. He sells stuff. Um, this is his. He bought that for thirteen hundred dollars. I'm sure it's somebody. worth a hell of a lot more than that now. Well, he bought not because he bought a long time ago, but because um, the something about the second hand was like shoved like upwards and was like rubbing against the crystal. Interesting. And so it wasn't moving. And so the previous owner thought it was broken. So Chris bought it for a song. Yeah. Uh, he just pushed it down a little bit. And now it works. And it works. So And he replaced the crystal. Interesting. That's yeah. that's a wild story. Yeah. My dad actually bought this uh, from him. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And he's also bought a couple other things from him too. But uh, yeah, it, it, it was pretty cool. Um, that That's like a 39 mil case. So it's like it's the right size. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, red GMT hand, Mercedes, you know, hour hand, black dial. Um, the Rolex Explorer 2 uh, is most commonly known to be a stainless steel case with a white dial mm-hmm. and an orange GMT hand. Actually, you should Google it. I'd be curious to see what you think of it. They make a polar dial, which polar just means white. Yep. Um, or they also make it in a black dial. I like the black dial one a lot. A black dial with a red GMT hand is... Rolex Explorer 2, right? Yep. The Explorer 1 is just a three-hander... Um, so like these guys right here uh, yeah upper left yeah okay gotcha Boop. okay yeah yeah uh, 13.5 is a bit high for that those I mean granted this is gray market mm-hmm. uh, Rolex gray market everyone kind of knows this for a long time is kind of crazy that's probably about 30% over probably yeah. Um, th- that's, a, th- that's about a $10,000 watch I like the what's funny is that I like the white on black with uh, the face design because yeah. it actually reminds me of my Audi gauges, which I love. Mm. They're the same way. Okay. Um, I, I have grown to love that because it makes it super easy to read. Whereas uh, both on watches and on gauge clusters, I feel you mm. can get kind of lost in certain circumstances. Let's say like when sun's coming into your face, mm. you can't necessarily see the dials very well because your eyes are compensating for all the light coming in. Interesting. Okay. Versus like with the white dials, I've never had that problem because clearly it's very... Uh, you know, up front with black indices all over. The thing with um, Rolex in particular, they've never really done um, like anti-reflective coating mm-hmm. on their crystals. Uh, even like my Squale um, doesn't really have any have much in terms of like anti-reflective. Yeah. Um, so I would be curious to actually see what living with a, an Explorer Two would be like with that with a bunch of sun and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Yeah, I, I mean it's it's super clean. Um, the actual indexes, you know, that it's a black uh, circle with you know white loom on it, right? Yeah. So it's it's actually a black. Uh, it's probably steel. Um, Rolex is known to have white gold indexes. Yep. So it looks like silver or steel, but it's you know it, it's technically white gold. Um, but that the black indexes with the white loom on the white dial is real clean. 
I, I agree. I'm, I'm a fan of it. I'm, I, I'm into those for sure. I, I agree, and I've told you in the past, I'm not the biggest fan of like the more standard Rolex look with like the, the sports the, model with stainless steel. Yeah, and and Rolex is stainless steel, by the way, is a different steal than say what this is. Yeah, yeah. Because most watches that are steel are 316L. Mm-hmm. Rolex uses 904L, mm-hmm. which always has like this the sheen and like this air of like a premium product. Yeah, I just like that look a lot more. I think the stainless with that white face, the black indices, and especially the orange, the orange. Uh, G- that's a GMT hand. The GMT hand, yeah. Mm-hmm. That I think that looks really, really good. Yeah, like I actually like that. Interesting. No, that's that's sweet, and I like the black one too. That's something that I haven't really seen before. It's, I hadn't seen a black one until I saw it last night. Yeah, like a black Rolex is not a common thing. So I think Bamford does this a lot too. Uh, they will take a Rolex, a standard Rolex, and then add the PVD coating, which is what that black was. Black oh, Rolex didn't sell that in black. It was that, a, that, that's an aftermarket thing. It's a custom thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I fuck with it. Yeah. I would totally. I would rock that black Rolex. <laughs> How how would you feel walking around with a Rolex on your wrist? Like say you're say you're walking around, I don't know. You're on vacation somewhere like Seattle or Portland. I don't know if I would actually feel that good. Yeah, I wouldn't either. Because I feel weird. Uh, not only would I feel weird knowing how much money's floating around on my wrist, but also I think I would feel weird because anybody that notices it is going to be like, "Oh God, it's one of them." So <laughs> I have this conversation a lot with my buddy Josh. Mm-hmm. Um. Shout out, Josh. Uh, we met in college, and we're, we still talk all the time, yep. especially since he's gotten into watches because he's bought some things, and he's uh, saved up for things, and he, he's a baker. Um, but he's also, like, he lives in Portland, and Portland over the last few years has gotten pretty fucking crazy with the homeless situation, yep. violence in the street, like, all that stuff, and he's, over the past two years, has gotten, like, into, into watches. So um, I'm not going to start rattling off things that he's bought just because I don't know, I don't really feel like doing that. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that's necessarily fair. Um, nothing crazy though. Um, but we always have that conversation of like, because he he walks to work sometimes. Yeah. Uh, he walks his dog and like they have you know his dog snacks. Um, that's his dog's name. I think. Nice, it's great. <laughs> Give snacks a snack. Yes. Um, and th- that's always something that he's, that's like on his mind. But like he's also been like definitely getting into more. I don't want to call it heavy hitters because it's not like on the Rolex level, but like he's gotten into some that are almost there. Yeah. So it's like, oh, how do you feel walking around with three to six thousand dollars on your wrist? Yeah. You know? And and potentially being worried about something happening. Exactly. Because you can't control that. Right. And it's also hard from my perspective because Salt Lake is still a pretty friendly city. Overall, yeah. Like. I, I do know people that walk around with Daytonas, and I've seen people walk around with, like, Pateks and, like, that kind of stuff on the street, and, you know, it's not really a problem. No, the likelihood of something happening here in Salt Lake is probably way less than half of most other larger cities. Like San Francisco, Portland, Seattle, mm-hmm. New York, L.A. L.A. has had a problem. Oh, yeah. London has had a huge problem with uh, people, like, getting uh, watches, like, pulled, like, pride from the people's wrists. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So... Uh- Especially because I think people people view Rolex, especially uh, especially non watch people, as like they just know that that's famous. That's the most famous watch brand, right? It is. Like, so it's very easy for somebody to see a Rolex symbol and just be like, "Cool, going for it." I mean, Rolex has superseded the watch industry, and they've just and they, and over the past ten years, especially, have entered just luxury category. Like when people think of luxury brands, they think of like Louis Vuitton. Apple, Rolex, Porsche, and Ferrari. Yep. Like they're all kind of in that camp. Um, 
But yeah, enough of watches. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you all for uh, listening to my watch rant. This has been the Exhibition of Time podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Now we're coming up with another brand. Oh, oh shit. Oh boy. Anyway, new website, new YouTube channel. Jesus. New no. podcast. <laughs> y- you can do that one on your own. <laughs> I'll be an occasional twice a year guest star. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Um, however, I do have a little shock value to show you because I don't know if you would have seen that this happened this week. Um, and I only got notified through our... Is this about GR Corolla? No. Oh. That is one thing I was going to bring up. Oh. But um, not yet. I'll, I'll come back to that in just a second. Um, <laughs> this um, thing right here, and I wish there was a way I could easily show you this without uh, revealing it, but I'm just going to throw it for shock value up on the screen. Okay. I did see that. I didn't see the end price, but that's nuts. <sighs> okay. 97 mile 2004 Volkswagen R32. Uh, blue, but otherwise they are identical to the one that we drove on screen. They're pretty much all the same. Yeah. There was practically no different options to be had with them. Color and mileage are really the only differences between what we had on camera and what this was. Yes. $104,000. Here's the thing about about that level. Find a, find a better one. Yeah. And Go that's, ahead. Mm-hmm. That's that's where this hit. Um, in fact, uh, our friend Carson, that's the one that lent us the R32s when we did our film, uh, he found this and he mentioned to me, he's like, that's actually, as far as the bring a trailer sales are concerned, closer to double mm-hmm. the last price than it is to the last highest price. Mm-hmm. Which is wild. Yeah. And yeah, you're correct. This is... Uh, it effectively seems to be just museum quality. It's it's basically delivery miles. Yeah. It's under 100 miles. Hasn't even hit triple digits. Yeah. Pretty wild. Um, It made me a little sad, though, because I had this thought when he sent this to me, and it's like, damn it, that sucks. Oh, did Carson send that to you? Yeah. Okay. And the thought really came to me like, okay, not only is that not a $104,000 driving experience, it's just not. It's a fantastic driving experience. Sure. But it's not, you know, if you're just looking at no, it ob- I, I, objectively, I, it's obviously not. I, I still am under the belief that a collector quality, a collector grade uh, Mark IV R32, yep. $30,000 yep. max. And I'm with you. And the main reason I'm with you is the reason this made me sad is sales like this or even sales like the sobs that I've mentioned mm-hmm. a couple times like 50 plus thousand dollars mm-hmm. when those experiences aren't worth that make it so that the average person is now unable and it's not to the, experience it. and it's not that you know no one's forcing anyone to buy a hundred four thousand dollar or 32 but it is it's you know the rising tide raises all boats it's a precedent it sets yeah. a you know it sets a bar which which makes you know a collector quality $30,000 or 32 people might try to sell for 50 to 60 which is like fucking come on and it sucks because like on one hand yes it's the free market like somebody decided that that was worth that and that is accurate that's how the free market is supposed to work right. we all get it yeah but at the same time the collateral damage that comes from those things happening i mean if you look at like there's plenty of examples to show this. 911s is one you could talk about. R34 GTRs is another of all these different cars that have had these cataclysmic rise in prices over I mean, the past 20 years. Yeah, I mean, we, anyone even 10 years ago could probably predict, you know, uh, R34 GTRs being mm-hmm. crazy because of Paul Walker, yep. because of the history in the Fast and the Furious and how inspirational, uh, say, some movie cars can be. Yep. Um, Nobody really like before the super took off. Really, people weren't necessarily predicting that. Yeah. Um. But hindsight on that is kind of twenty twenty. It is. We can look at everything from here with more or less rose tinted glasses that will highlight exactly what happened. And oh yeah, we, why didn't anybody see that? Well, it's because nobody was looking at the time. Right. It just happened. Well, and I get bummed when I see 
not even like normal 9-11s uh, from classifieds of 30 years ago, but like, you know, 930 turbos yep. that were like $30,000. Like, God damn it. <laughs> and that's like, it's I, like I, I, really it's, clean, low miles, like 930 yeah. turbos or um, seeing like, you know, a 959 that, that would have been sold for like a quarter million or something. He's like, oh, would have. <laughs> yeah. And I look at this, like, I, I struggle to know exactly where to land because yeah. I think it's really cool that one like this exists that is that clean. I think it's cool on one hand to see it become that appreciated that someone was willing to drop that amount of coin on it. But on the flip side, the amount of, like, shit that that does to the market of a car like this that is an average car, albeit a really good one, it, it makes it's, it, it, like, unobtainable. It's how I feel about ni- uh, 964s because... The 993, because it was the end of an era with last of the air cooled because yep. of uh, the you know the aesthetics that a lot of people uh, prefer uh, with the wide body treatment that was done to those cars because of the advertising and the marketing that was done back in the day. Um, Jeff's Wart was a big player in that um, because that th- that was like the era where the kills bugs fast and like you know the flying over the hump. Yep. Um, the, you know the awesome marketing that carried Porsche. I mean. Porsche was struggling at that time for a lot of uh, for money. Yep, it almost they almost you know without the Boxster without the Cayenne they would have fucking died. Yeah, but um, you know with with the hype that was around nine nine threes, I I still don't like the aesthetic of nine nine threes. I'm sure they're great to drive. I would love to drive any variant of nine nine three that wasn't a Tiptronic because yeah. they actually did have Tiptronic. For, yes, which is <laughs> which is tip tragic. Yes. Um. um but when nine six four started to rise, I was like. Finally, thank you. <laughs> um, and then they kept going and going and going. It's like, oh wait, no, stop, please. We gotta <laughs> please, go. We should have paused about halfway down. We this gotta path. go back. We gotta go back. So yeah, I, I I feel you and I understand um, that like seeing things like this is like I'm glad people have come around to appreciate them, but it is still a bummer. And we actually put two and two together that I think Carson accidentally bought his at the low point. He probably did. Like, because they had just been slowly um, trickling downwards in price. They still maintained generally uh, 12000 and above for the most part. Um, he got his for a killer deal primarily because of the bad paint and higher mileage. Yeah. Um, like, but, but mechanically fucking awesome. Mechanically sound as hell. Yeah. Um, and that's... And so he bought his for below 10, which is fantastic. Like, absolutely killer deal. But the thing is, is at that time was before... They started going right back up because yeah. that was just at the very beginning of the past two years where everything's just. And I'm sure he won't do this, but if he waited another 18 months, he could easily sell his for probably 20. As crazy as it sounds. In, yeah. in a year and a half from now, yeah. probably. Probably, especially with, again, this precedent. If just we get more set. and more like this, or, you know, imagine something, you know, surpassing the $104,000. You know, if we get some, one of these sell for 150 or. I mean, the way this happens. Is a couple of rich dudes that are both drinking at night, you know, yep. get uh, they get their egos up, and they're like, "No, I'm going to buy this fucking car," and yep. so it keeps going and going and going and going. See, and what's wild right here? Um, let me see if I can find it. All ah, right, here. Um, so this wasn't it. One of the comments made by the seller of this particular car uh, said that he was notified by Bring a Trailer that this had the most comments of any listing ever. Really? At 530 comments. Jesus. It's almost like the car isn't worth $104,000 or yeah. something. Yeah. Well, <laughs> were they were they positive or negative comments? Uh, most of the ones I read through. Um, I guess I reserve. 
Uh, shout out to you, Nice Rumble. That's a fantastic comment. Yeah. Um, a lot of them were more details like this, uh, detailing some of the stuff about the car. So I would say neither positive or negative, but more just like, here's a fact. Uh, just objective, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So surprisingly neutral when it comes to that. 38 bids. Um, so it did, I mean, have a good amount of activity. It probably was mostly between two people. Usually these are when Generally. they skyrocket this much. That is like that, um, the... The British Green on Tan 240Z that sold for like over 300 grand. Yep. Mm-hmm. A couple of years ago, like similar thing. Well, um, same, and same thing happened to that one Saab 900 convertible that was like the 100 mile variant that yeah. sold for like 75. Because oh, uh, he just dropped um, the, the dude that ended up winning, just ended up just going, fuck it, 20 grand more than the last guy. Yeah. And just fight me. End it. Yeah. <laughs> Be done. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. I, as an owner of something like that, if I were to own one of those, I would feel immediately like, holy shit, this is really cool, I have something special, followed by, oh shit, it's now worth money. Yeah, I, it depends on what kind of person you are. Um, there are, I mean, granted, these guys are very, very well-to-do, one of which was um, a writer on the show Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are a couple of guys, it's uh, Spike Ferriston and uh, Paul Zuckerman, uh, They they're car collectors in LA. Yep. And uh they they're specifically more portrait related but like Zuckerman going off and buy. He actually just bought um the super clean E34 M5. Uh you should actually google it. It's uh the Yaher, I think. There's some special uh look up like red E34 Yaher, uh I think it's J H H R E. Yeah, Yaher edition. That. Ooh, interesting. Okay. Those are going up in value. They only made, you know, a handful of these. I like, like, um, the reddish-orange. I think that's the photo. It might be the photo. I think it's the photo. Yeah, because looking at these other ones, these ones look more pure red. Yeah, they are. Yeah, okay. Um, but, like, super special edition wheels. Um, actually, look up the... Um, this is actually on Matt Thera's, um Instagram. I don't know if you want to go through the trouble of pulling that up. Um, but, like, the interior... Um, I'm saying um a lot, and this isn't making for very good radio, but fuck it. I don't care. Yeah. No, it's all good. Um, So the smoking tire one? Yeah. Okay. That, that's go. his only Instagram. Gotcha. Um, This is posted somewhat recently. Go down. Down. Um, I think that's as far as I can go without being logged uh, in. Oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, here. I'm sure it's a beauty. That's because I'm logged into Instagram on my laptop. Yeah, that is a uh, nice looking car, though. Like I, I'm not the biggest fan of E34s. I prefer I'm not either. I prefer E28s or E39s. Yeah, as most people. Yeah, uh, I don't think the E34, similar to your feelings on 993s, was yeah. a particularly. If that just whole well, 993s were appreciated by kind of everybody, and I feel like I was the odd one out. Whereas now E34s are starting to be recognized by other people and going, yeah. Oh wait, this is actually really good. Opposite bell curve, but at least in my opinion, which seems to echo with yours, that mid-90s European era was questionable depending on the car. Yes. Because there was a lot of them that were like, eh, I could tell we're trying to go somewhere new, but we hadn't quite made it yet. And it was really like D2S8, E39, and the stuff right after that found yeah. its voice properly, I feel. Um, the fuck, it's not on here. Because clearly we were in a transitional period from the 80s boxes into the 90s swoop. Oh, wait. Here we go. Sorry. Okay. Um, these seats. 
Ooh, yes, I've seen those like those Recaro's tiles before. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. That was probably. I mean, so this is a forty-five hundred kilometer Yaher, uh, a Yaher twenty. Okay. So I mean, if I were to speculate, first of all, knowing Zuckerman, uh, he buys the nicest of fucking everything. Yeah, yeah. It was probably a couple hundred. Couple probably hundred grand. Oh yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. This is especially being that kind of uh, very rare special edition car, one mm-hmm. rare enough that one does not hear about the name very much. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, only twenty models were built. Yeah. 20. Because for for the twenty year anniversary of BMW's M program, which I guess what started in uh, started with the M one, didn't it? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. But like I was looking at these specs, so the three hundred and forty horsepower because it's still just the six, I'd imagine. It is. Yeah, three point three point eight V six yeah. or not V six. Sorry, inline six. Thirty eight hundred pounds and sixty nine thousand three hundred dollar MSRP at the time. What's that in in today's in money? US. That's probably it's not quite double, but yeah. It's probably like 120. Yeah. 110, 120. Pretty good amount of money. I mean, ironically, what a M5 generally sells for now. Sure. Oh, <laughs> but, yeah. Like the CS is like 140, I think, isn't it? Mm hmm. So, correct that, me if I'm wrong. But. Yeah, I'm I, pretty sure you're right. That's interesting. I, I just, just looking at the wheels a little closer. The, these like twist mm-hmm. style wheels are kind of very period correct. Um, they are. Which is all good for that car. Like, all power to you. Be. Um, definitely be correct to when you were built. I kind of like it more with the with the wheels with the black face right here. I do too. Rather than the uh, silt standard the black, silver. The, the 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 black spokes with the red paint. Yeah. With the chrome lip is yeah. It's a very clean look. Yeah, exactly. It. Um, but like, it's so they. I'm guessing where you were going with this is that they actually drive their cars. They, oh, sorry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> they, their, their whole mentality is buying like the cleanest collector versions of shit and then driving the the money out of them. Good. Yeah, that's what I w- that that's what I aspire to be. Yeah, I aspire to be able to obtain something like this. Not necessarily set a high price record, but just pick up something like this and be like, "I'm sorry, you haven't had all the love in the world that you deserved, baby. I'm going to drive you now." Yeah, because that's what a car deserves. Keep- keeping cars happy mechanically you, and-, and cosmetically too. But. You can do all three at the same time. You can put mileage on them and enjoy them. Keep them cosmetically good and keep value. All three are possible. Not the same uh, price level of no. value. Like the value will go down, especially if you buy a forty-five hundred kilometer, you know, collector BMW. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's it's gonna depreciate, but like, who gives a shit? Like, they're yeah. they're supposed to be driven. It, it's it's all about the balance, balance, young grasshopper. You can balance all three of those, even though yes, the value will go down compared yeah. to the stupid low mileage. It's yeah. It, it it saddens me. That's another thing that saddened me about that R thirty two. It's like, oh, you were bought, driven around the block. And then parked. See, and that's the very first thing that pops into my head when I see, you know, oh, check out how little mileage this car had. You know, um, th- that always bums me out. Is it, that's like the very first thought that pops into my head. See, and then I've always been on the opposite side of that uh, spectrum where I'm like, I want to see an obscene amount of mileage. Part of the reason why I put so I- I'm many miles. I'm with mi- you. I'm with you. Part of the reason I put so many miles on my Stinger yeah. is because I just loved it. I, I had no reason to not drive it, and that's why I love my Saab having the 340K it does. Well, one of the best examples of this is uh, Brian's Questionable Decisions. I've heard about him. Uh, he's the guy that's driven his 308, his mm-hmm. Ferrari 308, like, across the world. You should you need to Google this, because imagine a red, like a Mac, well, Magnum PIs was black, wasn't it? Or was it red? Uh, I think it was. It's a, it's a generation behind me. I kind of yeah. don't care. But uh, Bi- Brian's Questionable Decisions, um, yeah, red 308 uh, that he has, like, you know, 
he basically kind of overlands in it, honestly. I think I've seen... Fo- yes, I've seen... Yeah, look, that first photo in the, for Roden Track left. Yeah, I have seen... Yep, I've seen that photo where... Uh, <laughs> geez, that... That is what I aspire to be. Yes, you can drive a Ferrari 308 to the Arctic Ocean and back, says Roden Track. <laughs> See, and, and he doesn't do it as much, uh, but um, what's his name? Harry... Um, Metcalf. Harry Metcalf like, will do, like, once a year, take one of his cars on a massive trip. And I remember watching him take his Testarossa across Africa. Yeah. Which is, like... He has great <sighs> taste, too. He does. Fantastic ta- taste in the visuals and the cars themselves. And will actually, like, go out and properly use them. Uh, well, and also, on, and he's probably uh, now a resource as the kind of the go-to of, like, here's how you do an engine out service on a Countach. Yes. I've seen some of those videos yeah. where the, the uh, because the <laughs> the car was assembled around the engine. There is no easy way yeah. at all. Uh, and looking at mechanically how that all fit together, I'm like, what what crack were you Italians smoking? <laughs> like, <laughs> like some of this would have been so easy. It was, to make. It, was, it was Coke at the time, probably. It probably was Coke at the time. Coke mixed with um, many, many wines. Yes. Um, <laughs> Like, a service hatch would have made this transmission bullshit so much easier, but nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. Nope. We can't be doing that. No. Nope. Anyways, I I look at stuff like this, or I even saw a photo float across Facebook the other day of a homie up in British Columbia dailying his Lotus Elise in the snowstorms that we've had recently. <laughs> Major applause. Love that. Like I love this for you. I, I, I love everything about that car being completely functionally used also that uh the image next to the overcrest uh with the ferrari that oh my god that yeah it's just this car is just nestled on this flat ground and in the background of the picture there's these two mountains that make a valley right behind it it's this beautiful vista snow covered and honestly that would kind of make for a baller paint job uh with like the how much dirt has been kicked up (laughs) the mud covered ferrari all the way up to the window yes oh that's fantastic i'm here for it i love like the probably 30-ish spoke wheels that it has it's borderline integrale yeah Uh, it's like an integrale with like an insert oh can you actually click on yeah there you go oh they're black too i like that yeah I love, like, the sloped roof rack on the rear deck, too. Yes. That's just everything about that. I'm like, okay, dude took it, made it functional. And the, and the 308 is definitely not the most appreciated Ferrari, so it's one of the easier ones to do this and not have as much hate well, mail. Well, I mean, they used to be 30, and now they're, what, 80 to 90 at least. Yeah, they, I mean, again, rising tide raise all boats. Yeah. Ferrari's had a similar cataclysmic rise over the past 20 years. Uh, Yeah, I mean, so back in, like, 2013, 14, they were still 30. So this it's a more recent thing. It, it kind of followed the Porsche trend at the same time because that was they, they were around kind of, yeah, when they were both doing 308, it. Uh, 328, not as much. That's a more recent thing. But like as air cooled started to go up, then yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, I I love everything about that. Makes I'm me very. Happy. I'm going to be geeking over that for a while. But I'm al- I'm also geeking over something that you mentioned uh, a while back, which was Toyota finally announcing the increase of the amount. <sighs> so they've heard about the hype. They yes. decided to make more, which is like yeah, no shit. Um, they, as far as I know, they haven't announced how many more, nope. if it's going to be just an unlimited production of like, we'll, we'll make as many as you want to buy. Um, I would like to have that be a reality. Um, I know. And see, I think that this is a travesty because the reality is, um, road and track production increased. Um, that's specifically for the circuit edition. So he- here's the problem. They went into this, I think... A cir- cir- and honestly, the circuit is the one that you should actually buy. Yeah. Uh, the Maurizio is like collector grade. 
you know, um, it's it's the one that kind of checks the boxes. Yeah. But oddly enough, also removing seats and shit. Um, the core is not quite what everyone who thinks about the GR Corolla like it, it, that actually doesn't get to the level that you already have in your head kind of thing. So, yeah, the, the circuit is really the go to there. The circuit is the Goldilocks. It is. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I think I do think that part of the reason this decision happened was because somebody in PR is like, guys, I don't think you realize while it trying to protect the brand, quote unquote, and make it this desirable thing, because that was their whole reasoning behind the low numbers yeah. was to keep the GR brand pure, yeah. that you have angered a lot of people that would actively buy this car. Yeah. Because is it an expensive Corolla? Duh, it's an expensive Corolla. However, given what it can do, it is worth the money. Like at yeah. MSRP, of course. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, same thing with Type R, though. Mm -hmm. Same thing with Civic Type R. Probably same thing with uh, the new Z. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of these uh, these enthusiast cars that have been coming out, either whether they be rebirths or filling in gaps that were kind of an empty void before. Yep. Uh, th they are things that yes, they might sound expensive if you're just thinking of like if you're just told that. Yeah. But like if you actually think about it. Uh, they are definitely worth the money. And so I think that this is a, a massive reaction to many people having uh, aha moments about, oh, we did the wrong thing in making this so limited. Yeah, they, they're, this is that definitely them at least attempting to pull up on the joystick. Uh, can you scroll down and see if they say anything about production? Okay, twenty. So it'll be. Uh, it was only supposed to stick around for the twenty twenty three model year. Plans to uh, produce roughly fifteen hundred circuit editions for the twenty twenty three. See, still so, under consideration. When was this article released? It was like three days ago or something, right? Let's see, he, two days ago. Yeah, two days ago. Gotcha. Um, so like it looks like what they're basically doing is they're saying we're probably not going to make any more for twenty three model year, but we probably will extend it into. Uh, plans 25. 24, 25, yeah. and beyond. Or, oh yeah, beyond 25 is still under consideration. So it looks like they've basically guaranteed we'll make them in 24 and 2025. Yeah. No numbers, though. Yeah. They, so they, we'll, they say we'll we expect similar numbers. So, like, even then, it'll still be limited. And, like, again, I I can see they're trying to balance their, their belief that they have to keep the GR brand pure with making more yeah, I kind of don't care about the GR brand. I know, um, same. I, I, I think they should definitely build as many as people will buy. Uh, I hope this actually combats dealer markup on these cars. I hope. I really, really hope so. I really hope so, because, uh, again, talking about collateral damage, the dealer markup collateral damage isn't the the main brand. It's not anything like that. Those, there's a little bit there. The collateral damage is the people that do not get to experience that car for an unrealistic, unnecessary, uncounted markup that just lines dealers' pockets. Mm -hmm. It yeah, because it's fueled by pure greed. It kills enthusiasm completely. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, and sadly, it's it's completely legal. I don't think it should be illegal. I think it. Should, I think it should be illegal. I, I think it should be borderline illegal and what i mean by that is i think it should be made completely financially disadvantageous Some, somebody wants to list it for double over sticker great but then make the dealer have to pay oh by the way three quarters of that is paid in tax or something like what that What sucks is that uh even if you know say a dealer charges 20 over for a yeah. gr corolla which if it's a maurizio okay it's like a seventy five thousand dollar corolla yeah but um 
if that happens and if Toyota hears about that dealership and then if they cut other allocations of that car, that also stinks because there are people in that area that wanted the car, that want to pay Toyota what what Toyota is asking for it, Yep. and then they get fucked. And then they have to try to go through a rat race of finding another dealer that will sell to them. Like across the country or something. Well, yeah. and, and in... Uh, and helping a couple friends look for various cars, I found out while calling to a couple of dealers out of state, a lot of dealers are not selling out of state like they used to oh, wow. because of these supply issues yeah. that are sometimes artificially created by a company, like what, like in a scenario you just described, where the company's like, yeah, we don't want to send you any more because we know that you're just going to overcharge. Right. And then it ends up, again, more collateral damage to the customer. The customer always loses in these scenarios. Yeah, And that's where it sucks. It's the same reason why... Um, albeit very different circumstances, right to repair legislation is such a huge thing because they just realize it's not the companies that lose. It's not even the store that sold the shit. It's the customer is always the one that loses in any of these big corporate scenarios. Yeah. And that's the reason why about four months ago, I had a big old rant about like dealerships here in Utah and how we are one of the states that it has to be a third party selling a car to a person. Yeah. And how there's, I think, it's down to nine at this point, other states that have similar legislation, which is entirely designed to quote unquote create jobs and make a middleman that then takes more profit and then right. makes it more difficult, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. It's all, it all steamrolls downhill. Um, <laughs> it's the reverse trickle down economic theory. <laughs> well, we all know that trickle down doesn't actually work. Exactly. Exactly. So hopefully, please, dear God, Toyota make more than 1500 a year please like i i think setting artificial limits on a regular ass performance hatchback is fairly ludicrous yeah i mean i i mean i i subscribe to the belief that dealer markup shouldn't exist anywhere Agreed. Um, i do know that uh porsche and probably i don't know this specifically but i know porsche with gt3s mm -hmm. not just so with about 992 but going back to 997 those always kind of had about a 20k over yep um which stinks, but like, okay, it's been happening for long enough. And twenty k, when you're talking about a car that's one hundred fifty thousand dollars, is not completely unreasonable. It's not a it, proportionally. It's not a ridiculous difference, right? But when dealers are some of which are charging double eight, uh, double MSRP. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, if you look at the new uh, Porsche Sport Classic, which is basically a nine nine two turbo manual, yep. rear wheel. So it's it's like marrying the the idea of a nine thirty turbo with 992 technology yeah uh because that's like a heritage throwback and because it has different uh accoutrements mm -hmm. that uh that would be very special edition for any other porsche but it comes factory yeah i think those were starting at 270 i think <sighs> which is steep but there are people that are selling them for 500 yeah so double can, and uh, can you I, I just want some some corroboration about this could you look that up yes um yeah, it's fucking insane. I I, think, I do believe there was someone that sold one for five hundred. So yeah, two seventy three is what the quote unquote general MSRP um, seems to be. Yeah. Uh, can you maybe look up like I don't know five hundred thousand dollars or something? Let's see if that works. Um, my my guess. Okay. Uh, there are some. Yeah. So. There's a run list uh, uh, thread that there were some people are speculating that it's going to be kind of like the 911R. Yeah, that was a few years ago that people were buying them for 200 and selling them for seven to 900k. Yeah, um, you're. 
<laughs> just somebody again some of these comments we're seeing today are great uh on damn, the, damn maybe i'll get another lotus instead <laughs> i know uh well, those went up though those were fucking 30k all day long and now they're 50 i know i i know um yeah, it looks like a lot of people are like sitting here going that's, like that's nine eleven R though. Nine eleven R. Um that's DT three R's. Yeah, it doesn't seem like too many people have actively talked about it, but like I, that, I anecdotally that is something that I have heard about. Yeah, and I think it's very likely. Because uh, ironically, we were both there and got to see the nine eleven R's when they were here at our local dealership. Yeah, there was like five of them. Mm-hmm. And I just happened to tag along with you that day by pure accident somehow. Was that an accident? I, I asked you. It's you, like you, you and did. Christian. You did, because I think what happened was, um, it, I know it was fairly short notice, not like, hey, come now, but like it was like the day before or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, and showed up and got to see those. And then, haha, psych, not the last manual 911. Ha ha ha. Fuck you, people that paid 500000 for them. Or, or some were trying to sell for $700,000 and $900,000. <sighs> And I think it was around that time where Porsche was like, okay, we're not an investment company, which is what pisses me off about what's going on right now. Because, like, all these other cars are being flipped for over, you know, or, you know, uh, dealer, like actual Porsche dealers are selling for, you know, either 100K over for normal GT3s, 120K over, or, you know, double ADM for GT3s or Sport Classics or, or 911 Turbos. And it's like, well, what 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 happened back th- between then and now that like Porsche isn't doing anything? They could have nipped <sighs> this in the bud like you know, eighteen months ago, when the night when the GT three came out and like when people were maybe starting to get them, like how <sighs> money? Yeah, but Porsche isn't getting any of that money though. Well, they're not. You're correct at the dealer level. They're not. However, if you look at even how much the, the dealer sport- level, well, the dealers are getting the money. Porsche corporate is not. No, I know. What I'm saying is, if you even look at what the MSRP of that Sport Classic is, it's a pretty steep, even from the get go. Yeah. So the, it, I'm saying that there's some double grabbing going on a little bit from both directions. Even because, like, if you think of how much a Sport Classic is going to cost them to make, it's not going to be 273 grand. Even though it's a special edition model, like, sure. There's a lot of extra grabbing there that I think is reasonable you think porsche is greedy for asking that much for that i i think that they've gotten more greedy than they were probably to do with how well the 991.2 gt3 sold or just the 991 gt3 in yeah. general yeah I, I think that that showed them mm. but that isn't a gt3 variant though it isn't but i'm saying in when they're looking at it from a higher level in their whole 911 family they're like yeah we we have a lot of desirability I, here i i agree that porsche has seen the light is like with you know where cars have been and where they're going, and this this is a special thing that can't really be replicated elsewhere. Yeah, I understand that. I, I first of all, I do agree that they are being slightly greedy with that, but yeah. at the same time, um, I it, it seems hypocritical of them to you know not allow that you know back then with the nine eleven R program. And then cracking or and then not cracking down on people now. I think that is a bit ridiculous. Companies and then also companies. GT4 RS is also going for fucking crazy over. Well, and that's what I'm saying. Companies are companies at the end of the day. At the time, they did a good PR move and were like, hey, we don't want to do that again with the 911R. But then slowly but surely, that's like, yeah, but like... But, the mo- but they're still not getting that money, though. So, like, where, where's yeah. the incentive? <sighs> The incentive or, is to or just... Or maybe they just realize it's a losing battle. I don't know. I think it is both. I think it is both just they don't... They, they are less obliged to care when they realize how special their product is to, you know, because they know that the dealer's going to sell them. So they're like, okay, well, 
you are asking 30% over. We don't like any more than 20%, but the reality is you sell more 911s than everybody else. You know, things like that with bigger dealerships. Sure. They're going to look at it like... Yeah, we don't see anything. Turn a blind eye. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there's that going on too. Especially with again, especially with the larger dealers. If they have a larger dealer that's consistently charging a markup, they're probably going to be like, "Yeah, but you move so many units, you're lining everybody's pockets." At yeah, this it's, point, it's a golden goose situation. Yeah, um, that's wild though. Like I, I look at that, and that Sport Classic does look cool because I've seen some photos, and the idea of it is cool. Oh, there's one that I've seen circle around. It's like. Uh... Irish green or some sort of like British racing green with tan interior, houndstooth centers, the gold, um, gold, you could call it a, a gold package, like what would have been on cars from the 90s, but like yeah. gold logos, like inside mm-hmm. and out. Like that is like perfect to me uh, for something that isn't a GT product. Yeah. That's the, por- the, the perfect 911. I actually saw what I would honestly believe, and I'll see if I can pull this up and send it to you on Facebook. Uh, the perfect spec RS4. Um, it's very similar to what you just described. It's kind of a random side note, but it was on um, Audi Club North America, guy selling this black on brown RS4, but it had been fully Euro converted. So it had the, cool. had the Euro bumpers, the Euro wingback Recaros, cool. like the full nine yards. And I looked at that. I was like, if only if that was British Racing Green instead of black, mm-hmm. that would be the perfect spec in, yeah. in a way. Yeah. In, in kind of its own way. But I still want to. If I had all the money, I would still love to build a Franken RS4 wagon. Yeah. Have either the, say, t- take a, a blown 4.2 R8 motor or something. Oh, yeah. Shove it up front. That BRG paint, tan interior, wagon. Fuck it. Drop the front axle and just make it rear-wheel drive only. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the car we built last week, I believe. Kind of, except yeah. I said turbo five-cylinder. But I, I think a Franken RS4 wagon of any kind. Would be cool. Yeah. Regardless of uh, what engine's under the hood, both yeah. those engines are great. Oh, here you go. I found it. I am sharing you the link now so that you can gawk at the uh, at the glory of this thing. Because fuck our listeners. I know. <laughs> but, like, uh, I love this particular tinge of brown on these Recaro wingbacks. It's like chocolate brown, like pure chocolate mm. brown. Um, and, and, and they have the matching shifter boot with that. It's not still just a black shifter boot. The carbon trim, um, the car's on the proper original wheels and 78 or 75,000 miles as well. Like kind of a perfect all rounder. Like had, that is nice. I like that. The, the billet shifter knob too. Yes. That is nice. Yep. And the, uh, Euro spec steering wheel as well. Like he went to great mm-hmm. lengths when reading through his post that to, get every best part that was OEM for the car. Wow. So, again, the wing backs, that steering wheel, that so shifter knob. This is listed on Bring a Trailer. Yes. Um, where is it at? Okay, current bid is at 40 and it ends in three days. Okay. I'm curious where it'll go. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it hits like a 65, 70. I wouldn't either. But it could also, you know, hit 50 and park there, you know? But that car being... The way it is specced and has been, uh, the carbon on the uh, in the engine bay looks to be in good nick, which is rare. Uh, yeah, it's clean under, uh, relatively clean underneath. I'm just like looking through. Fucking, they took a lot of photos of this car. Jesus Christ. See, and that's the thing is, I think that car may be worth the sixty because that is probably the only RS4 in the states with all of those Euro parts, with all of the best pa- parts and kit. 
and who knows? It might not be the only one, but there's not a lot. Of, there, there's some aftermarket stuff underneath though. Like there's an O three four sway bar. Okay, I can see. Yeah. Um, but like if you're looking at control arms, like they're fucking mint. Yeah. The exhaust is clean. I'm just going because they took like over 200 photos of this fucking thing. Bring a trailer listers listings can be like that. They can be. Yeah. I mean, I've done bring a trailer listings before, and maybe I need to <laughs> up my photography game. <laughs> Well, yeah, because I've seen some of those ones with 200 plus photos, and I it's been although it's overwhelming, it's also fantastic at the same time because you have a visual of effectively every nook and cranny of the car. You really do. I mean, even the uh, the the body, like the the pan underneath, like uh, by the exhaust, like mm-hmm. f- hardly any scuffs or scrapes. And maybe it'd be good to like team up with like a mechanic shop to be like, hey, I have a BAT listing coming. Can we use your lift? I've seen that happen. And like I've I seen that. that. I did that once. Uh, Garrett Levens, actually, uh, Garrett, if you're listening, say hello. Um, he had a 996 Turbo. Okay. Um, I actually barely drove it like for a little bit once. This was the crazy one, right? Well, I drove it before it was crazy, but oh, gotcha. uh, on race gas later, like I think a year and a half or maybe two years or whenever it was later, mm-hmm. I was making like 730 horsepower. That, that was a drag car. Yeah. Um, and I he, we did a BAT shoot and he picked me up and so I got to ride around in it. We did like a fucking 70, 70 like to one forty pull. It was nuts. It was like one of the craziest, like hardest accelerating cars I've ever been in. Well, yeah, that much weight, all from the rear. Yeah, and uh, that little weight, that little weight. Yeah, just shoving you forward. Oh my god, it was nuts. Because it was it rear wheel drive. No. Oh, so it was all wheel. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, so they started doing all wheel drive nine eleven turbos with nine nine three. Gotcha. So 930 was the last of the rear-wheel drive Porsche Turbo. Gotcha. Okay. And that was another reason, I think, also why the 993 Turbo also went up because it was the last of the air-cooled, but it was the first of, like, the all-wheel drive. So it wasn't, like, totally going to kill you, but, like, you also really got to hold on kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think what's funny is he actually, uh, I believe, he came with us on the drive-road rally thing. Did he? I, I think he was there. Because there was a, I remember there was a tuned turbo nine, uh, nine nine six. Like I'm pretty sure it was him. That it probably was that had like some small silly little issue that we stopped by the side of the road to fix real quick. That wouldn't surprise me. He has an aerial Adam now. Hell yeah. Yeah, he he's out in the Bay Area. He uh, so he, uh, and I don't want to like air dirty laundry or anything, but he so before COVID, he and his wife they quit their corporate jobs. Yeah. And uh, liquidated, which is one of the reasons why he sold that turbo. Yeah, I remember Mo- he sold it because he was moving. Yeah, moved to Mexico and kind of fucked off for a bit. And then the pandemic happened. <laughs> and he's like, he's probably sitting pretty. Oh, yeah. Um, And then, I don't know, maybe a year or so ago, he moved back to the States and he moved to the Bay Area and uh, started getting back into cars. He had a C6 Corvette, I think. Okay. C5 or C6. And was and he, he goes to... Uh, Monterey at uh he goes he does track days at Laguna Seca yeah and so I, that's probably one of the reasons why he got his Adam and so but he he drives it like not just to the track like he dri- like dailies it occasionally yeah which is rad um I gotta go over there and say hello and have some seat time that'd no be, for sure that's fun that's a sweet uh I mean he he seems to have had a lot of really cool cars yeah he has good taste which is so Garrett hello hello <laughs> <laughs> yeah I. I wish we had more people like local. Um, we do have a lot of really good people local with really good taste, but like a good collection like him that would um, mm-hmm. be more than willing for their cars to be featured or driven or tons of stuff done to them. Yeah, and there there are a couple of people that I have in mind that will be um, procuring 
for yeah. you know later mm-hmm. <laughs> for when we do weekly content. So uh, keep that in mind. Uh, starting in April, weekly content coming at you. I know. Um, uh, is there anything else you wanted to talk about? I did want to throw in one. This is kind of a, a really interesting sidebar, considering we've been talking about driving cars and all of that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, I did want to throw in a, a kind of a weird sidebar where I do have to put in a 2% appreciation to uh, Daddy Doug for at least driving his Carrera GT. Okay. Because he's already put like 600 miles on it. Yeah, he just is he's doing a road trip right now or got mm-hmm. done with the road trip. Yeah. And like there's a lot of... He in- needs to drive that to Nantucket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like he... Uh, I do have to like throw in some appreciation. I think he had a really good take too. I read an article He because he got rid of the RS4 to get that. That was... RS2. RS2, sorry. Well, he had to get rid of the RS2 to get that because obviously even at his... How pay- much did he sell that for? I don't know. I don't. The article that I read didn't mention. I mean, I saw that it was on cars and bids. Yeah, so I'm sure you could pull it up and find it. But um, he re- was responding to like a lot of the comments he got, like, "Why would you sell the RS2? That's such a cool car." And he's like, "Well, I'm gonna." He's like, "I'm gonna have a hot take and say that I don't think you should just go ahead." How much do you think it's old? Uh, eighty. 80- uh, uh, yeah, this is his car. Sorry, I just need to confirm that it's his. Um, how much do you think it's old? Hmm. 110 lower 92 90 okay that's yeah um his is all his was also the most desirable of specs with that blue and stuff blue with the blue and uh blue centers in the interior and, yeah i mean it's an rs2 it's it's an audi that was also built by porsche yep you know turbo five cylinder all-wheel drive wagon like it checks a lot of boxes it looks great yeah um fuck, the, the, we thought there's a lot of photos in that uh that rs4 yeah, <laughs> uh, this has over four hundred photos. <sighs> wow. I mean, wow. I mean, they really did cover every fucking inch of this thing. Jesus Christ. Nice. I got to up my game. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he has photos of of someone probably him uh, paint metering it. <laughs> I mean, at, at that level of car, that's understandable. I guess so. Um, especially if it's quality. original paint. Yeah, true. Uh, which I believe his was. I'm sure. It was. Um. Anyways, his take was that like, well, he's like number one. There is no way financially I could keep the RS2 with the money that was parked in it and get the Carrera. It just wasn't possible. Right. Number two, his hot take, which I actually kind of agree with, even though I've kept two cars in particular for a fairly long time, is like, I don't think you should sit that long in one. Mm. I think you should rotate around. Okay. And eh, I think his reasonings were good, which is that you should get more different experience. Yes. And... Doing that, rotating around fairly common, actually keeps prices lower because it keeps supply more equal to with demand. That's also true. When people aren't selling stuff and they're just holding on to things, then... They become more valuable because they, they've become artificially rare. Right. So I was like, okay, I'll shake hands on that. I agree with that. Yeah. Um, I think those are two very fair points where he's like... Um, and to his credit, he has had a fairly odd, eclectic collection. Like, he has varied, yeah, like, okay. what he personally buys. G-Wagon cab and, yeah. you know, the RS2 or now Career GT. Ford GT. Ford GT. Like he, that, he won't ever get rid of that. That one's a little more understandable. Yeah. Um, but, like, I, I he has gotten, he, I think he has overall practiced what he just preached and that he has varied, like, his personal purchases pretty widely. Yeah. Um, and I do think that's, something to keep in mind is that it's probably not the best thing to just buy one thing and hold on to it forever. It is probably good to like have maybe one that you do that with and then like a rotating slot. Mm-hmm. 
because it helps out the community. You don't sit there and that car doesn't just sit. It gets driven, keeps the value down. You get something new. You get to like refresh your uh, refresh your palate every once in a while. Which is the part that I actually more, uh, hmm, I don't want to say identify with because, I well, I was in the Outback for five years, which mm-hmm. was a car I just needed to get around, even though it was, it, now I see it as more of an enthusiast type of vehicle because it's an Outback with a WRX engine in it. Yeah. Um, but I was in the Forester for as another daily get a, get around, even though it was a manual. Like, okay, who cares? Yeah. Um, for two years, I'm in my Fiesta. In May, it'll be three years. Um, and I want to hold on to it for a few more years. But like, okay, that that car is gonna go at some point. Yeah. Like, what's next? Mm-hmm. Um, and with you know the exception of the two Subarus back to back, I mean, you know, the the Fiesta was definitely a departure from anything I'd ever had before. Yeah. Um, the things that I want to get into are also departures from what the Fiesta is. So, And the last four years of my life have been the most, uh, we'll just call them automotively stale of my personal ownership. Not because they haven't been good, but because I have the Audi and the Saab that each have been there for over six years now, yeah. and the truck is approaching four years. Yeah. And that's just been out of necessity through the financial times that my life has gone through over the past yeah, several and years. S- and sometimes that's just what you need, but like, mm-hmm. and that's why... That's why I get kind of frustrated when you and I talk about like what we like and what our dailies are, yeah, or what we aspire to be, because what you aspire to is kind of more of kind of the what you've had before, yes. Which is like okay, you know, if that's your thing, fine. But as long as you're not buying, you know, five Subarus back to back, or five Hondas back to back, or five, you know, big big body Audis back to back or whatever. No, I, I, I would definitely acquire more of them, but I don't plan on being completely repetitive. Right. Like I do plan on varying it enough. Sure. Um, so like even right now, if I was to go buy another daily, it probably like if my, for instance, my stinger that I found, if it came back up for sale, that would be a possibility. That That's a specific thing. But that I would also say that's pretty close to what your Audi is as far as like a use case. Like, mm-hmm. yes, it's bigger. It doesn't have a manual gearbox. It's not an older vehicle. Yep. Um, but it's something that you already had for a, almost a year and a half, well, over a year. Yep. Um, and it's actually the exact same specific car. Like, But there's also like a nostalgia that's attached to that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That would, basically what I'm getting at is that would be the only one that would probably be a complete repeat. For instance, I wouldn't go back and buy another 2003 Audi S6 as much as I loved that car. Sure. I wouldn't go back and repeat that. I might go back and repeat the Audi 200 that I have had, the Audi 200 wagon, because that one to me would actually, I would swap that out with my current Audi. I wouldn't good. I wouldn't buy another one. I would swap it out. Because, good for a couple of reasons. Yes. First of all, the money and pain that car has caused you, and yes. also... You know, it is a different kind of thing. It is an older, bigger body Audi. And that's that car, to me, was more what that chassis was good at than my current S6. My current S6 tried to brand itself as a little more sporty, but that chassis is just not it good at it that. Just, it isn't, it's not that sporty. That's not what it's for. Yeah. Whereas you go back to the 200, it was a large, comfortable boat that could fuck off in a straight line. Fantastic. Sure. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. And unkillable in the winter. Yeah. Um, so I'd swap that out. But as far as like a daily... I you know, I hope that I'm in a position in the next year to like really shake that up a little bit and maybe try something completely different. Because uh, the truck, I want to just completely dedicate to work because it already basically is. I'm kind of just functioning without a regular daily at this point because the truck doesn't do anything but work. But like the other two cars aren't in the best dailyable states. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of just operating in a gray area. But I would love to get a 
second newer car to be the actual daily to do regular tasks outside of doing work. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping like in the next year I could achieve something along those lines. Like I wouldn't be opposed to something like a civic type R like, or like weird things like that. Like I, I'm very open to like the possibility of what that could be. Cause yeah. I also don't want it despite, I know what I love yeah. to be just another large Audi. I would love to see it in a GR Corolla. I mean, yeah, that would be sweet. That'd be rad. Uh, I I doubt that that would happen, but <laughs> sure for, for for several reasons. But like, yeah. it would be really cool. Yeah. Um. Hell, I wouldn't even be opposed to some form of EV or like plug-in hybrid. Well, you've talked about the Lightning before. How great that would be for your business. Yeah, that's that's still in the running of a potential for the upgrade from the Tacoma. Right. On the business end and on the personal end, I still also wouldn't be opposed to some form of an EV because most of my driving would still be work. Therefore, I don't need something with an insane amount of range, and I can stand with a vehicle with 200 miles of range and have here to plug it in easily. Mm -hmm. Because I actually have, funny enough, I actually have right above Gavin's head right now a 240-volt line that could be really easily just turned to the left and go to the garage instead of my stove. Right. (laughs) Super easy. Um, Yeah, so we'll see. I hope that I can get something like that and continue to vary it a little more but that was really the last thing i wanted to mention was that i would also and just tacking on to that before we round this out i would love to see a transformation in you like if you if you were to say to drive something like an rx7 or miata or something that is a smaller two-seat something that is an actual sports car yes and if to see that that light switch on and go Oh fuck! I need this. Something that isn't necessarily the Rossian, you know. Even I, though I would love to see you in uh, Jason's car. Yeah. Hello, Jason. Um, I I would love to see you in something that you buy something that is a fun sports car that you buy as your release from you know uh y- y- your cathartic release from like just when you're driving a car that isn't for work, right? Yeah. Something that isn't for what we do on the show. Something that. You just drive in your off time, but that's also what the Saab is to you, too. The Saab is that to me, but I did kind of had a moment similar to that with the old Fiat 124 when we drove those two cars. I would love yeah. that old 124. I mean, you can buy those for not that much. They're not expensive. Yeah, you can buy them for less than 20. Mm-hmm. And even for a time, yet again, another car that for a time was under 10 consistently. Sure. Uh, but either way, I think even then... Uh, Ten to twenty thousand dollar driving experience in as long as it's in good condition, I would say is worth you t- it. You talked about that with, with NSX too. Well, and yeah, that but, one but would the, be. But those are a different level. That's an entirely different bracket. Mm-hmm. Um, those would be badass, and I would specifically, if I was going to replicate what I dreamed of in that moment, yeah, look for a high mileage one because I know it's something I can maintain. I have the capability to do any of the maintenance it could really need by myself, right? Because it is a fairly simple mechanical car, despite its. Uh, mid-engine complexity i mean there are proprietary parts that are for that you know um similar to what corvette is because like sure the engine is reliable in a corvette but like there's a bunch of other parts and a lot of other pieces to that puzzle that are proprietary to that that are not in a fucking silverado exactly yeah so there's a lot of shit that's in an nsx that wouldn't be in an accord or in a civic or whatever oh yeah very much i learned in that film that it is not what a lot of people say which is oh, it's just a mid-range fucking accord no it's very much not that it isn't not at all not even the engine is not that despite what you believe it's yeah. not anyways but if i was to try to replicate that it would be find a high mileage one find mm. one with like 200 some odd thousand miles i don't care that i can find for like 50 60 you know what would be hilarious though is if like you know if 
you and I are both in, you know, close and like um, committed contact with, say, with me, with Brad, with the yellow car, and you mm-hmm. with Michael with the black car that were on, on camera. Yeah. If we like, if there came a time where those guys had to part ways with those cars. Oh yeah. And if we got either one of those for a deal. Yeah. And we were like NSX bros. That would be oh, I would love that. That'd be the best bromance ever. Yeah, that would be <laughs> awesome. I, you know, I'm for that. See, and I just talked about a high mileage one, which obviously, uh, uh, Michael's black car is the opposite of that. However, um, it's, it's it's not quite collector quality, despite what you would think a thirty eight thousand mile NSX would be. It's a thirty eight thousand mile driven NSX. Yeah, it, it was not stored. Yeah. Um, even though that mileage would lead you to believe otherwise, it was clearly probably a lot of those miles put through a good amount of paces. Yeah. Um, it was. Th- it wasn't thirty eight mile. Well. We we don't know what the previous owner was like with that with that car. Yeah, or previous owners. I don't know how many it had, but yeah. Um, I mean, Michael, the way he sees those cars is like when they get driven, they get actually driven. Really, same driven. same thing with his Golf livery nine thirty. Uh, you know, backdate car. Yep. Like that's the car. Like he will take his wife. It didn't have back seats in it, so like he would take either his wife or like one of the kids, or or his wife will pro- would take that car too. Yeah. And when that car gets driven, it's a straight line punch it. You properly know. driven. Yeah, exactly. Not just like, you know, uh, bogged in, you know, fourth gear or third gear, you know, puttering around the block kind of thing. Yeah, because I wouldn't mind that black car. And the, and the dream thing with me is be just like this NSX with <laughs> these studded snow tires on the rear. Just or, crazy. Or, or uh, on all four. Or on, well, in, yes, sorry. All four. I'm mainly focusing on the rear because it's rear wheel drive. But yes, all four for control, of course. Yes. Um, but have that type of a scenario where I can take that vehicle and do what an NSX is not supposed to do, similar to what Mr. Dude was doing with the 308. Uh, Brian's questionable decisions? Yes. Yes. Mr. Brian. Hmm. Lifted NSX, anybody? Could you take (laughs) CRV suspension? (laughs) Oh, God. And and throw, like, you wouldn't fit 37s on it, but... No. 30s? 30s? I think 30s wouldn't be unreasonable. Um... I think you could tastefully if you do a safari treatment similar to what uh, Lee Keen does with you know nine elevens, you know uh, slight lift with this, with suspension and also by the way speaking of safari shit and we I, I can go on a fucking tangent with this yeah, shit yeah, yeah. but like with the Dakar nine eleven mm-hmm. you know s- same kind of thing um, but yeah like lifted you do some seam welding where where that needs to happen yep uh, some knobby tires uh, Farah when he got and I'm sure um, the other cars the other Porsche safaris that were like this also yeah. Uh, KO2s. Yeah. Fit some KO2s to an NSX, lift it. <laughs> I mean, we're... we're oh, I, I would love that. We're basically basically reverting to eight-year-olds that are just drawing on a, on a piece of paper going like, okay, now it needs this, and it needs this, and it needs this. Yep. So, anyways, we've been we've been going for a fat minute. We have. And I, I'm okay with that. We don't always have to keep to just an hour. But, no, for sure. Uh, if you're still listening to us with uh, Justin's mic bump... Yep. Uh, thanks for tuning in to the Exhibition of Speed podcast. Uh, I, I mean, as far as things to plug, we have weekly content that's going to be coming later. Um, I haven't uh, vented about my therapy uh, <laughs> of, <laughs> of my, of my uh, kind of... Well, my, yeah, my definite fuck-up. Uh, from the Porsches. Uh, we can talk about that later if we really want to. Yeah. Um, but, yes, thank you for tuning in. Uh, thank you for putting up with us, and uh, hopefully you'll still stick around for our uh, weekly content that's going to be coming out in April. And, uh, yeah, I think until next time, I've been Gavin. And I've been Justin. And this has been the Exhibition of Speed Podcast. Goodbye. <laughs>